Thank you for tuning in to this episode of BRC and Friends. Laura, Monaco, Heifetz, and I decided to get together and talk a little bit about the most recent SCOTUS decision regarding affirmative action. We hope to bring our entire personhood into this. We're angry and have a lot of rage and frustration, but also a good deal of hope. So we're going to touch on affirmative action in general. We are going to speak to our people in particular. We're going to talk a little bit about college admissions uh, in a little sidebar. We hope to, uh, we laugh and we cry <laughs> and we rage. And we hope to offer just another set of voices into the conversation about the recent decisions that have come from SCOTUS. So I'm on the middle in the middle of family vacation, so apologize for the sound. I'm in a hotel room without all my fancy sound stuff, but we felt it was important to go ahead and record this for you all. So again, Laura Monica Heifetz and I talking about the SCOTUS decision on affirmative action. My name is Bruce Reyes Chow, and this is BRC and Friends. Each episode, my co-hosts and I chat with activists, artists, academics, and adventurers to discuss politics, faith, pop culture, technology, and as you will discover, pretty much everything that pops into our heads. This is basically an excuse for us to hang out with friends and colleagues and riff about things that matter. Welcome to BRC and Friends. All right, welcome. Laura and I are here. So in response to all the SCOTUS stuff that's going on, yesterday, I'm in the middle of a family vacation. We're doing national parks, which is very fun, also very white, but we went to a city called Whitestown or Whitesville, and then we also went to the White Sands. It's the same. It is, Mount Zion. Zion National Park, very fun, super white. And so my kids are like, are we the only brown people here? And I'm like, I think we might be, but, well, yeah. And I'm not naturey, so it was a miracle Ooh, that I was- I forgot that about you. Yeah, I got a lot of nature on me, on my clothes over I'm the last so sorry, my 10 thoughts days. and prayers. So I'm, we're, I'm driving, we're doing like a seven hour drive back home and I text Laura and I'm like, hey, you wanna hop on the pod tomorrow just record some stuff? And Laura's like, fuck yeah, let's do it. So <laughs> here we are. Here we are. And we're just gonna, we do have a little bit of a map. We'll, this is also just kind of catharsis for a lot of people right now. So. Laura, quickly just introduce yourself, uh, just so folks, if this is the first time people are listening to us. Hi, everyone. Laura Mariko Heifetz. I use pronouns she, her, and hers. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I've lived in the Southeast about 13 years, but I am originally from the West Coast, fourth generation of my family born in California. I did the math once and have gone to school in Midwest. So I'm here and I'm queer at the end of Pride Month, and I'm pretty mad right now. <laughs> I'm here, I'm going to piss. For those of you, Bruce Rance Chow, I'm wearing my Mabuhai Life uh, Vibes hat, which is Mabuhai in, in Tagalog just means live. And so I use he, him pronouns. I'm in the Bay Area in San Jose right now, and totally West Coast, Northern California, smug, all that. Third generation on both sides, Filipino, Chinese, immigrated in the 30s-ish, and have been doing this podcast now in a variety of forms over the last few years. And Laura is one of the co-hosts. And so decided to invite the two Asians of the group. We started off when we just hopped on before we started hit records, like, what the fuck is going on? Yes, that is 100% my vibe right now and yours. Yeah, I mean, I was noticing some of the decisions that have come out before this, like these small little like, yeah, those are great. Those are good. Those are good. And that, but these major ones are all going the way we had expected them to go. Our only victories were native sovereignty. Gorsuch is really into that. But then my spouse who does this for a living, like all this racial analysis stuff was like, his whole thing is like Western individualism. And I was like, oh, now it all makes sense. I'm so annoyed. 
but everything else has been disaster. You know, it's those three women, the Jew and the Latina and the black woman just trying to hold it down for posterity. We need to send them all the good vibes, like prayers for like their health. I just feel like they've got to be holding so much right now. And I feel really bad about that. Also, I'm like really grateful for them. Yeah. 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 Serious. I mean, just, you know, those of you listening, take a pause, send a whatever you send for all the good things. I mean, I'm watching all the think pieces and memes and images come out about what the dissent folks uh, to Justice Sotomayor and uh, Justice Jackson have been saying. Amazing. Amazing. Incandescently brilliant. Oh my gosh. And like, those are the people you enraged. want on the Supreme Court. Yeah, exactly. They're so calm about their rage. Yeah, we don't want to read people and go like, oh, I'm smarter than that. Like, you want to read people and go like, oh, damn. They're... I know. And they're beautiful uh, writers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh there's God. a oh, big yeah. intellectual gap, we might say, between some of these Supreme <laughs> Court members. That's just me. I'm just reading. You know? You're just putting it out there that there's a possibility between, oh, my goodness gracious. So we're going to talk mostly about the affirmative action decisions today. Lord, I wanted to start again. We are fully, neither of us are SCOTUS scholars. I don't believe you are, Laura. No, you're, you're, so sad. Okay. So, you know, we're going to try to tell as much truth as we can. But if you start, people start like, but that's technically not happened in blah, blah, blah versus blah, blah, blah. You're probably right. We do not claim to have that space. So whatever. Just do it our best. But we are, I will claim we are public theologians and we have ideas that we think are grounded in some good thought and our generations before us have raised us and we are in a space where there is such shitty stuff out there that if we don't put some words and ideas out there that contradict that then what are we doing so while we are not scholars we will claim this space and hope that this is helpful for you again we have a map we want to start off though i want to start off by first saying some of this is very insider right we're going to talk to the asian american community and specific folks in that community. So if you are not that and you consider yourself part of that, please don't think that you are. A, I mean, it feels like this is a little condescending, but you're not an honorary anything because uh, Laura and I. We're going to say some things. Yeah. And you can't say, well, you don't Laura get to say that, that to yeah, anyone. Thank else. you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and if you really want to say that, that's a question you need to ask yourself. Indeed. So and then there will be we're going to talk about some solidarity and then we're just going to do some general kinds of conversations about things that I hope will be helpful for folks. We did think it would be best to start off with what we think affirmative action is and about the case itself. And Laura will talk about what affirmative action is. Let me just start with my understanding of this case is that now for college admissions, we are now going to be race neutral, which in California, California state schools have had to do this because we passed a proposition called Prop 209 years ago. It was terrible that basically has made our state schools already begin to do this. And now that is the law of the land with some exceptions, which we will talk about in a bit. But so that's kind of the decision in a nutshell. So it's not like at everything in the world, but around college admissions. Bill, or what if somebody asks you, so what is affirmative action? How are you responding these days? I will say, because I've cared about affirmative action since I was a kid, that a lot of people get affirmative action mixed up with race-based quota systems. So affirmative action is not a quota system. You have been court mandated to have a quota system in the past. 
if you really fucked up. Like if you are shown in a court of law to have discriminated systematically against certain groups of people, you then have a quota system put in place, it's court mandated, and it's court monitored. And so then you basically like work yourself out of a mandatory quota system. So that's like a very specific, very narrow thing that happens that is guided by some of these principles of overall civil rights and representation. Affirmative action is being able to give specific consideration to people based on their identity in minoritized groups. So these are groups that have historically been discriminated against. That has a very long tail. Discrimination doesn't just magically end and it's gone. There are ways that it shows up. And so to be able to give a particular consideration of different applicants, and especially at the recruitment level, this is very important. Affirmative action is primarily about recruitment, as far as I know, especially in employment and admissions. That is my guess, but that is how it's been explained to me in the past. The primary beneficiaries of affirmative action, this is based on data, this is not an opinion, over time have been white women. So I will say... That goes out there all the time that says, hey, wait a minute, why... Like yeah. it's benefiting white women. And they're the most opposed to it, which is also Yeah, flesh that out, Lee. How does that play out? Like, because I think you're right. Everybody's thinking, oh, affirmative action. It's, we look at a brown person, a black person, it's like, well, you got in because of affirmative action. One, as if that's a negative, right? right? And two, as if you're not qualified and affirmative action has now given you extra something to like, whatever. But, but how does it affect, how does it um, help white women? Uh, because all of these categories that are, you're not supposed to be ageist, you're not supposed to be sexist, you're not supposed to discriminate on the basis of HIV or AIDS status or on disability. And so like all of these things basically add up. White women are a really big part of the population. They're a really big part of the people going into college and part of the workforce. And so they, having also historically been discriminated against as minoritized people due to gender, due to socioeconomic status, due to disability status, all of that, they have then been the ones who benefited the most. And that affirmative action is not like, oh, this person of color got a spot at a school and I did it. And it's only because of that. It's like this person of color actually got their application looked at for once and a recruiter talked to them because they're considered to also bring value to the educational experience. And they still had to earn that spot. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my kids, three Filipino kids, two that are still in college, one just graduated. I mean, they're and two of them went to a, this super hippie private school in San Francisco, scholarships at the butt kind of thing. But, you know, that whole thing of like they worked harder and had to almost their grades and their things where they were overqualified compared to some of their folks who in that who would accuse them of just getting in because they were they were brown. And I mean, I think that shows up for a lot of people over and over again in all of these these systems. So the things that you would say what that people get wrong about affirmative action. So they think it's a quota. I think it only benefits, you know, I think right now we're talking about black folks, Latino brown people and black brown people. people. Usually, yeah. yeah. What yeah. people and think. And so what is that? So that those are the th anything else we get wrong about affirmative action that we want to make sure that folks don't just assume are correct things putting out there in the world. 
I'm sure that we'll continue to run into things that people get wrong about affirmative action, but we will We're say gonna that. We're going to solve them all in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Laura. What do you, I can't Let's fake. cover it. Let's cover it. Okay. So we do know from the data that when this passed, Fritz Prop 29 passed in California, then the people who were directly impacted were black and brown people who then like enrollment at Cal Berkeley, for instance, probably one of the most selective public institutions in the state, they did, their enrollment did fall off like in the law school and all of that and white enrollment did rise. And so that is something like we have actual data for that. There is no data that actually supports that Asian Americans have been discriminated against in the affirmative action process. There are certainly obviously problems that Asian American applicants have faced throughout all of these, like, and that has more to do with uh, stereotypes and the fact that some schools refuse to put in ethnic studies. Right. Yeah. This seems like a good segue. Indeed. Indeed. So again, I want to double disclaimer this. Laura and I are going to talk about our Asian American community in over the next few minutes. And there's a little, I mean, we're risking, there's a little outs, insider outsider stuff that for some probably don't want us to, to push on or challenge, but fuck it, that's what we're doing. Because I think you're right, this has been couched as Asian Americans are somehow, their detriment is from affirmative action. That, and we ran across it in, you know, being in San Francisco for many, many years, there's a high school in San Francisco called Lowell, and they uh, have wanted to remove some of the ways that people get into Lowell. The idea was always that it's holding, we're holding spots for non-Chinese, let's be very clear. And so that if we change admission standards, it's gonna take spots away from Chinese folks. One, all my kids got into Lowell this high end, and we chose not to send them there because of just the culture that was there, but also it's just not true. Right, it's it's not the way it works. So, let's talk about our people for a little bit. Our people, our people have done this interesting thing where there's a certain segment. I will say two thirds API vote. They have all of the data on voter attitudes on Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. We're talking about the Asian American community. Native Americans and Pacific Islanders have it really, really, really bad. And there are portions of the Asian American community, if you disaggregate the data, that have it really, really, really bad. In fact, Chinese Americans have huge disparities in income between populations. So we will say all of yes, that. Yes, that is, oh my oh, gosh. It's like so complicated. It's like you have eight Chinese immigrants living in one apartment, super high rates of poverty. And then you have Chinese American families with like super high incomes. I'm just going to yeah. put that out oh, there. Oh, yeah. Well, and then you, yeah. like it, I mean, and for those of you, like Asian American is a political term, right? It isn't something that they would use to, to consolidate power at a time. But then what has happened is become this kind of generic thing where now Samoans and Filipinos and, you know, all, everybody's lumped in together when the disparate experience of everybody, it's just so blatant. And so we use those at different times, depending on what we want to have happen. And so this idea that everybody is in this model minority overachieving, super high, like, why can't they do it place? That's not where a vast number of us are. And going back to what you just kind of where you started, right, was we under, also understand that most Asian Americans and the voting thing approve of affirmative action. What's the number? Two thirds. Two thirds, right? Yeah. Something like 69%. Yeah. It's like, I would, right. Oh, so what? Why? And you'll see this, this hashtag in your wedge. Why are we being used? What's going on that, I mean, we know why because the world is fucked up right now. I know. But 
help us articulate for us, Laura, why we are being used as this wedge? Well, it's so interesting to me because this is both an outside and an inside conversation. So what happens when you don't have ethnic studies taught is that Asian Americans ourselves then get caught up in stereotypes mm. white supremacy tells about us. Yes. So two thirds of us obviously know what's up, right? right? That's great for us. There's a third that clearly does not. So <laughs> we could say there's this model minority myth. It probably started earlier than the 60s, but in the 60s, it really comes to the fore. And it's my people who get used. So obviously, like this is around like civil rights for everyone, red power, brown power, black power, obviously yellow power is up at this time. And then white supremacy comes up with this great idea. Hey, let's talk about how well-behaved and high achieving those Japanese Americans are just two decades after we put them in incarceration camps and surrounded them with armed guards and barbed wire. Look how good they've been. And look Why how good the they've made it. Why can't the rest of you perform to this? So I will say there is definitely a portion of the Asian American community that either doesn't know the history of this or doesn't care because it's to some of their benefit and will be like, yeah, we're the model minority. Yeah, we're totally fine to be used as a weapon against black people and brown people in particular. Yeah. You people piss me off. I it hate that about us. And revel in this idea that like, well, why? That's a good thing, right? Why oh wouldn't my we want to be? Oh, it makes why me want to my eyes out. Like all of the work that we've done just down the toilet with it. <laughs> I remember when, when uh, this was happening, when Prop 2 and I in California was happening, I saw these ads on TV by Filipinos who were just like, I'm like, are you, what the hell are you doing? I know. You're not even a generation removed. And Filipinos are not included in the model minority myth. Also, I mean, <laughs> you guys are literally not. Yeah, like, what? Yeah, all right, so, so, all right, who do we, who's that third? Oh, we know. We know it's people with really high income who believe in the myth of meritocracy, which is adorable because we know that thing doesn't work. None of the data shows that that works. Nobody in a t-shirt that just says fucking adorable. <sighs> Sorry, how I feel. So, oh, and yeah. we also know that there's a lot of second generation Chinese Americans, first and second generation that buy into this. So we should probably talk about selective migration and how it is that people get to come to be in this country. Oh, do you think just anyone who wants to move can come? Is that how it works, Bruce? I do not think so. Oh, really? You mean people can't just move? Well, unless you lie about your age and you buy papers illegally, like my grandparents did, and you were paper sons, and, and then you came, you came over as peasants who people don't want to allow anymore, and then you have people born here who they don't want to allow that either. But you're right. I mean, so that selective migration are folks who have come to the United States because they have the resources. And there's like this kind of global white supremacy that, that happens, right? You get here. This is what you buy into. People are telling you how well you've made it, and you have bought your way into one level of American culture, and now and you get selected you for that. Yeah, and now you deserve yeah. it. Yeah. Right? So here you are. And so this other person is going to take my spot away that I deserve, which I bought. And so, oh my God. I'm and so, you're just making me more pissed. This, sorry, I just get really upset about this because then there's also Chinese language propaganda that gets spread oh, on platforms God. that you and I can't access because we don't speak Chinese because we've been here too long. Mm. So then like we can't even share the knowledge over time that we've built up as a racial group through ethnic studies and through all of these disciplines and through all of the coalition building we've did. And they, we, they get to come in and they get to just knock all of our work over with one fell swoop. And I'm pissed about that. But you know, I also understand there's a part of me that is like, this is not all their fault. 
there is this one guy who's been shopping the death of affirmative action for decades, and we all know him. Yes, we know it. and he's part of part of this recent case who has used this young person who, again, I want to give agency to people to make these decisions at the same time. The idea, what's happened now, like what we've talked about, is that now Asian Americans are being lumped into this idea that you know, we're seeing it all over in, on socials and things that Asian Americans are now being are being seen as, again, a perpetual foreigner and enemy of people, and particularly our Black siblings, who we're seeing a lot of stuff come out. And so, yeah, I mean, so that's that wedge thing, right? We're being used to draw a wedge, right? White supremacy monster feeds on this stuff that says, hey, you all just keep fighting for shit down here while we're just up here laughing. And and we're still getting into school, right? Legacies. I mean, all the stuff you're seeing, if those of you that are listening, you've seen it, right? If you really want to deal with affirmative action, deal with legacy stuff, deal with those who can do full pay. Look at all these ways that people... Inequalities in public education. We're talking. What? Are you kidding? Yeah, so I there's mean, like this great, a couple of great quotes I think you'd really love from this panel. I went to sponsored by the African American Policy Forum because, you know, I've been a Kimberly Crenshaw fan for like decades and decades. And Janelle Wong, who is a legal scholar, Asian American, called this the case of the model minority goes to court. Ooh. So that's pro I bet that's going to be the title of one of her next articles. So nobody steal that. I kind of want to see like a, I can see like a TV show mock thing that, Oh my gosh, it could be brilliant. Oh, and then they lose, and then we rip them to shreds because I'm mad. And then Kimberly Crenshaw had this really, really good quote about like this decision happened where the facts ended and the stereotypes begin because there is literally no data to support that Asian Americans are hurt by affirmative action. It is exactly the opposite. And so, yes. Which is, oh my, oh, right? That's because why I'm so mad at us. It's like we got ours and we think we got it. And like, and so, Fuck the rest of you. Yeah. I mean, that's basically, and folks don't, so what do we say to our, I, I, I know we're shitting all over. Our own, people, for, their own people. Because, Again. well, to be clear, I don't want to claim them, but I have to claim them because we get all lumped into the same racial category, whether or not we consent to it. Right. And we want to call them whatever the cheesy Interview. thing, right? Call them in. In. Because they're, uh, like, I also don't want other communities feeling like it's their job take on i mean because that we can talk about that too but so so what do we say to our folks who might be even on the the fence i don't have much interaction with this particular group san francisco is a great microcosm if anybody wants to look up what's happened with the board of education and how this just has happened in san francisco but how do we speak to the to these folks in a way that is helpful i mean have you heard any ways that people have been able to, how do you say convince? Besides just... throwing money at Chinese for affirmative action. I mean, honestly, in-group organizations doing this work are probably the ones who have the most capacity to continue to do this work meaningfully. But part of me is like, this is going to sound really, really bad. And I know I have a lot of privilege as like a fourth, fifth generation American. I get it. Like I know these systems inside and out. But part of me is like, by the third and fourth generation, when people are still calling you racial slurs and you still can't make it past a certain level at your workplace, they're going to realize that it's nothing about what you were able to achieve. It's not about that. They literally can't see past your face and you just screwed yourself. Yeah. So we just have to wait for that to happen for people. I'm so sorry. <laughs> 
I have a relative. I think for some people, that's not worth. I have a relative who we had all of these. It wasn't like this person was not like totally oblivious to race, but was moving up pretty well. And I was like, you know, there's still race. Like even though you are the the one airplane that made it all the way to the end, there's like shitload of crumpled up paper before you. Like it's still there. Like no, it's just work hard. And then there was a moment in the career that became clear that you that's how as far as you were going. And you and I just remember this kind of very loving, you were right. <laughs> like, I know. No, I didn't say that. But yeah, I mean, it's that kind of, at what point does it have to, do you have to experience it before you're like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't, which I hate. Like that idea that in order for you to understand, you have to suffer. But, you know, also, it's also that process of racialization and racial identity development, right? It takes like th three generations for racialization to take place if you come from people who came here voluntarily. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So talk to me, just so folks are, you know, are going with this racial migration thing, voluntarily, involuntarily. How does that impact our understanding of all of this in like 30 seconds? So I think that Black people who were here as a result of being trafficked and enslaved for generations, this racial identity development thing I just said is not about them. They have a very different experience. Native American, Indigenous, First Nations people, they were colonized. They didn't ask for this. They have a very different experience, and their racialization is totally different. For those of us whose ancestors came over, even if it wasn't 100% legit, we're the ones who were like, oh, you mean we don't get to be seen as individuals? And then over time, we realize what that's about. Right. And it's and it's very important for those of you who are listening, right? This is not about ranking oppression. This is not like this oppression Olympics. It's just realizing we're all coming to the space in a different way. Though I will say that until Asian Americans and those who did come here voluntarily in any form understand the roots, right, of slavery and anti-Blackness that exists and informs all of this, we're, none of us are going anywhere. And so... That whole, like, we're not ranking, but we're also acknowledging anti-Blackness that is at the root of so much of this. So y'all can do some more Googling and studying on that. We need to make sure that we keep, keep moving on. All right. So anything else, what else do we need to say to our community, our folks in general about what's going on right now? Any other things that you feel like are important? Uh, I do think there are elements in our community, particularly this part of the community we've been talking about, who've really bought into anti-Blackness for whatever reason. There are people doing work on this, scholarship work on it. I would just say, like, you need to really think about that. Yeah. What are yeah. your attitudes towards Black people? How are you sabotaging the entire movement because of your attitude problems? What would you say? The most negative, <laughs> the most hate I've ever received was a post I posted about Asian Americans. That if you are calling for more policing and carceral solutions in the assumption that it's Black folks who are doing most of the Asian, anti-Asian hate crime, then you are part of the problem. And Correct. Woo! We don't like Boy. it. Boy. Oh, man. I was, yeah. I mean, this is a, I haven't had to turn off comments in a long time. And it, you know, it got hit. It got, but I think you're right. I mean, I think our people have some of the most racist attitudes. And it's just this, we are trying to work with our kids who are probably getting to be smarter than both of us at this point. I mean, they're getting pretty close. And are both going into ethnic studies, looking to PhD. I mean, we have done well, Laura and the rest of us. But we are trying to help them learn some Chinese. And, and I, I don't know much Chinese, but I do remember all the words for people that aren't Chinese are not right. good. Yeah. 
and we occasionally called enough of our relatives on it, but you know, occasionally you hear because it's just how they would talk about somebody. I mean, yeah, Robin's ears pick up when she's like, "Oh, they just said something bad about a white person." <laughs> oh, the the white devil. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. Like, I've read enough you, books by Chinese Americans to know. <laughs> Everybody knows that. So I mean, but yeah, I mean, so I think our folks, and you know, and then you look in the, even the Filipino community, my people who some of us think we're black, basically. I mean, I think we have tried to, you know, that kind of acculturating and you know, taking on black communities and and our connection to Americanism, you know, in the in the Philippines and how we hold like some of the sayings around like don't get too dark and you know all these things that happen in the Philippine American community. I think sometimes we're given a pass because we seem to be so more intertwined with the black community that like it's there too. Colonialism. Right? Oh yeah. I mean it's like colonial hangover shit is strong. For real, for real. For, it's for real. I think I wanna end on a positive to some of our people. Right? <laughs> I'll work on that. There are I think one of the narratives we're seeing out there is, oh, Asians are this and it's all negative, right? Now they're there's like, where is the solidarity now? Where is like, I've been seeing a lot of that. And it's hard not to step into that space. Like not all, you know, Asians, because we don't want to, but I want to give a nod to our colleagues, our friends, those who we don't know, who are in those spaces, doing the work in the way that is helpful, platforming those who need to be platformed, putting the words out there, who are taking chances within their own communities and their families, you know, we all have a lot of people around us who support us, but if you are that young person who's becoming aware of some of this and you're trying to challenge your parents and grandparents about what they're doing, I mean, so I just want you all that are doing that work, we got you. I don't, I don't you know, know how we... I rejoined the Japanese American Citizens League because their solidarity work and showing up for other people, it's like really important actually. I really believe in it. You know, it's good. It's good to support actually reparations. Yeah. Well, and the reparations stuff thing. that's happening in California right now is being, you know, one of the main players is the one who helped to get the stuff for um, Japanese Americans is now involved with. Uh, anyways, yes. So I just want to, yes, we have some people and community parts of our community that, that we are challenging. We have called out and there are many who the work that we've all been doing over these decades and generations before, let's just keep doing it. We want to make sure we keep doing it. So what are some other things about this affirmative action stuff that are pissing you off these days? I mean, you know, the first thing I know, okay. First thing I noticed, it was only race. So white women, you're still going to get yours. Congratulations. <laughs> right. That's it. Right. So based on disability, based on all the other categories, I don't begrudge people getting that. It's just, it's easy to feel singled out. Okay. And then the second thing I noticed was the exemption for military academies. Oh, you're yes. good enough to come die, but you're oh not good God. enough to go to any of the other schools. How about you? What did you notice? That was the military one. Uh, we were, you know, again, our family vacations, we were listening to podcasts about oppression. This is that's what. Yeah, you guys are so fun. Oh, my gosh. We were listening to one about the new school in Florida. Oh and yeah, it's so sad. Some, everybody it's also like the tiny school. Leave them it's alone. Tiny, yeah, and it's but it's super. Like I'm like that state needs that school. Like yeah, listening to some of the I love that their mascot used to be the the null null void or something because in, in their constitution 
when they were trying to think of a mascot, they didn't have one. So they just put the two brackets and that just carried on. So they're, but now they're one of the mascots that they're trying to bring back because now they're starting a sports athletics program is the conquistadors. Stop talking right now. That is, the third of me, the students are like, the what? (laughs) They put out some poll and one of the options was the conquistador. But they're like, I had no idea how liberal and wacky and awesome new school was but i was like these poor kids i know like they deserve that. so i don't know how we got there anyway what's pissing me off that military thing oh that's right because we were talking about it in the car so that the military leaders back a decade ago or whenever the last time this came up wrote this brief friend of the something i don't I'm know again thank you i'm not a legal scholar shocking i know <laughs> basically telling the supreme court no 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 it is better for morale and how we do our, not that I want our military to be, I, this is kind of this tension, right? Yes, they're saying it's better for morale if for West Point, Annapolis, what's the other, whatever they are, I don't care, that there is affirmative action because we need to have a diverse officer corps. And so they exempted them because it's good here, but for some reason. It's apparently not good for any other sector. It was like, does nobody like how do you how do you live with yourself? I mean, John Roberts is living with a lot right now. That's true. I guess they all and he still thinks are. he was right. Okay. Yeah, I just like we're gonna exempt I, I I do not this is why I don't understand if you hear that, no matter where you are on the site, like how do you <laughs> like what's your ethical gymnastics? Yep. It's like, well the military needs better people. Well, does not finance. Yeah. That's well, the mil- like whatever, like I don't like there. I've not read or found anybody that is doing those gymnastics to see why they justify those. But yeah, that was the one that I was like, are you serious? And then I love, I don't know if it's pissing me off, but I, I love the Justice Sotomayor and Justin Jackson. Like just because the law says racism is done, that Does not doesn't make actually it so. make, it, make it so. But that's basically what. Yep. Well, that's the same thing with Voting Rights Act. When he got it in 2013, he's like, well, we really shouldn't be talking about this anymore because the law <laughs> What a jerk. He even like didn't even buy, he didn't even take into account the date. Well, and so the other thing is though, and he's the moderate right now, right? He 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 is like perceived as the holding the the integrity of the car and, and they still and because you got these wacko kind of right wing illegitimate justices. Who are pulling us? I mean, this is all over. Anyway, that's anything else piss you off about this particular? We'll come to more. <laughs> I hope ne- I, you know neither of us are clearly ever running for office because. Well, I think we decided that a long time ago. Because <laughs> people know exactly what we think. And I refuse to cleanse my Twitter time. Though, did you know that I left Twitter? You finally did. I did. It's pretty bad there. I'm sorry. It is bad, but also capitalism. I have a book coming out. Oh yeah, yeah. That. I'm like, should I go back? And I'm like, no, because it's purely. It's pretty. Yeah. Health so Yeah. So I'm not, not going over there. Uh, anyway. Good for, you. Good for you. You know what also pissed me off is in the context of all the decisions that have come out, the fact that this one also came out alongside makes me think this is not going well for the most vulnerable among us. Really? Huh. Really? Huh. With the yeah. exception of ICWA, that's literally it. Okay. I think the biggest thing that just pisses me off is 
white supremacy. When we talk about white supremacy, folks, I mean, I hope that most people are listening to this. Like, we're not talking about you, particular white person. Sometimes we are, but it, generally speaking, we're just talking about this culture that uh, reinforces the oppression of best people. Like, uh, at, so when we're talking about this, that it feeds wealth and privilege and power and all that. They're winning. Like this decision oh, yeah. has basically said- Rolled back however many years of 50 years of progress. And we're gonna make some of the division between some of you even worse. So let's talk about that for a minute. You know, we were both talking about that we've seen some really anti-Asian stuff being put out there by folks. I'm, I'm, I follow a couple Bay Area and other kind of black communities and then Again, I understand the pain and the, the rage, clearly we do, but some of the tone and rhetoric that's out there now is, is only going to enhance anti-Asian and sentiment and tear down all the solidarity that's been built. Disrupts coalition built. Yeah, I mean, just, and so like the commitment by those who are in this is gonna need to be even stronger because there are more folks who are gonna be not, not wanting to participate in it and, and not feeling it's important. So again, what's your take right now on what this does to solidarity movement and with folks, especially around the Asian American community and others? Yeah, I mean, I think, and it, I feel like, who starred Aminari, Ed, what's his name? Steven Yoon, right? Oh, yes, yes, the, yeah. the Minari, the, the show, yes, yeah. Yes. So he said something about this, Kathy Park Hong also said something about this in her book. and. It's kind of like being Asian American, something along these lines, total paraphrase, is constantly having to remind people you exist while also like justifying your the fact that you exist. And this is just the same thing. It's the same dynamic. We were used as a wedge. People forgot we existed. And then they remembered, oh, Harvard and UNC, which keeps getting dropped out of conversation, but it was a combined, two cases got right. combined. Apparently some people don't want to do all of their work, Supreme Court. And then they, I think that this is part of it. It's like, we're having to remind people we exist. We have to remind people how long we've existed. We have to remind people of all the roles that we've had. And we have to remind people that actually we are wanting to stay in solidarity, even if our name is used wrong mm -hmm. for the name of white supremacy. Like we're being used to uphold white supremacy. And I think all of that is very tiring. Yeah, and even if there are those of us within this community who do want to buy into this, the solidarity movements are bigger than that. Like we have to, folks will, yeah, because right, we have parts of our community that love this decision for all the wrong reasons and whatever that we've talked about. And so people are gonna find those voices. And so the challenge is how do we get folks to be as nuanced as they as we want us all to be about everything when it comes to this. And then especially in the next few weeks and months and years as, as all this is, kind of playing out. You speak of Harvard and North Carolina, and there's this one part about this, this is a little going back, is I'm working with a couple of Korean American parents in the area where I am, because my kids all went to small liberal arts schools and they want to know, one, how we pay for it, um, and uh, two, like, what what is that about? This kind of like Ivy League fascination is fascinating oh. to me. Yes, and I think it's like the whole culture has this real hang up about the Ivies that is really interesting to me because, and part of this is like state school kids, right? Yeah. For generations, state school kids. And so I think it's really funny because I'm a strong believer, like your education is what you make it. 
Yep. So if you really invest in your education, you're going to get a good education. Like there are good yep. faculty members everywhere. The resourcing is different by school, of course. Like some schools don't have more money than God. And that the Ivy League is geographically restricted. Like it, they are the Ivy League, not because they're inherently better. It's because of a specific history and trafficking in humans. So I wouldn't be super proud about that. That's where a lot of that money came from, you know? And I think it's very interesting when people are so obsessed with getting into these name schools, even if your kid could get the right education for them at some yeah. other school. Yeah. If you are a parent, guardian, somebody who has influence over a young person during this phase of life, one, not everybody goes to college. There's lots of options. You know, we so do many know good that. Options. So many options. Please make a plumber options. out there, okay? We need sure, and, a, and an electrician, for God's know, sake, for please. God's sake. Again, for some communities, right, the college conversation, I, I do know that this, like, yeah, college, whatever, for some communities, is not a conversation like that is as, as easily had. And so we were able to tell our kids, because they're going to be okay, right? You know, if you don't go to a four year, now, did we mean it? Like, you know, I, that's, that's you a conversation. Struggle, right? I mean, oh yeah. yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I will buy, I, I yeah. fully, I, I believe in community college, state schools, all, I, you know, but also I, my kids were like, okay. So if they would have said, uh, my first choice is da da da, there's still part of me. It's like, but you could do so much better. Like that is in my head. It's hard to get rid of that. Yeah. Which is, oh yeah. I mean, that is like, the greatest, this podcast is also a college admissions counseling podcast, apparently. <laughs> apparently. But the greatest thing are, we had a, at the school they were going to, the college helper person said to us, the parents, two things. Admissions offices are basically marketing offices. So all their numbers are about marketing. So if you just think about it that way, the more applications they get, the lower their admissions Except rate can get rate, yeah. And, yeah. and all that. So that's one. And two, he said, your first reaction to any school they mentioned now sets the bar at what you think is failure or success. Oh, yeah, I know. I feel I'm really like, bad damn. for people, actually. I had, like, a really good parenting situation in that case. I feel really bad for people. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I remember we were so conscious. Like, if our kid, I'm not going to say a school because it's going to sound like I'm going to shit over at school, right? But if our kid said, my first choice is da-da-da-da-da, we knew whether we were thinking it or not to be like, okay. Yeah. Right? I mean, and, and not to be like, oh, but. Right. Because then we've now set, and I was like, that is the best, no matter what garbage you have going around your head. And so I think we see this, going back to like talking with parents now, like they are, like I was talking with one parent and they said, I'm like, well, what are the schools they're thinking about? And they're all they're these all fine, elite. Right? Oh, no. No. Oh, no. I'm like what? What about their souls? And I was like, what? I don't think they're getting into all this. You told me a little bit about your kid. So <laughs> that's, that's one. And that's okay, right? That's like, so why not? The other thing that uh, our school said, we don't call them safety schools. We call them likely. And so, and I said, so what are the likelies? Like, what are the ones that still feed them? And, yeah. and so trying options. to, yeah. And that, you know, you don't want to, are you watching Never Have I Ever? Oh, of course. Okay. So the last season, right? Yeah, whole, oh, that's so what we well talked about. But that whole, I, I know there's been some critique about, are we reinforcing this model minority thing about these kids are only trying to get an Ivy League? I'm like, uh, maybe, but also there's some truth in that. We're watching this going, damn. Mm -hmm. We, my kids had friends who only applied to these elites. Like we have bought into this idea that that's 
Success. Okay. I'm gonna stop. That that's the only way. And so the other thing I think to note is that Asian American students in particular, but all students, way more of them go to public universities and community yes. college than any other kind of school, period. So your bizarre obsession with this like small number how many people do they educate? They educate so few people. And the vast majority of schools we actually need to be paying attention to, they're all the ones that you don't even think of. But they educate the most people in this society. Get it together. And then we look down on them by doing that. Like there's this Rude. kind of, right. It would, and because one, most of your kids are not getting into those schools anyway. Yep. And so, you're welcome. Right, it's so, numbers. So, yeah. And now you're, and now they're, they failed them somehow because they didn't get into debt, 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 debt. And now they have to go to, like, I had somebody tell me, oh, so they had to go to and then mention one of my kids' schools. I'm like, oh, my God, you just, like, my kids did not go to, like, I mean. Your kids' schools are actually quite hard to get into. Yes, they were. I'm just I saying, mean, like, yeah. compared and to so, other schools. It's so hard not to buy into all of that. I mean, it is, we did our best with our kids. But even them, as they were, like, trying to be appreciative. I just remember every once in a while, like, well, so also got in, so. And I'm like, are you, what? You know what was good for me was not getting admitted to some schools. Yes. Yeah. That actually is good for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, oh definitely. Mike is in Turns out you so can learn. We surrounded them with people who made them do likely schools because, you know, none of a well, one, the youngest one got into their first and only and youngest. But the other ones, like, had to go, like, the stress and tension over the whole pro. Anyway, this wasn't meant thing, to be a college thing. <laughs> well, the other thing I would like to highlight is that it is still true that. People like you and me, multi-generational college graduates, we have less to gain and less to lose than other people. So I would also like to point out yep. that like black people and brown people, particularly who do not come from families who've had a lot of educational access, this is a make or break and we have just yeah. screwed them. And I hope all of you are freaking happy about that yep. because That's we right. have done their entire families and all of their descendants a complete disservice and we're losing out. We're losing out on the networks they could have made, the breakthroughs they could have made. How do you think we have the internet? Okay, so first of all, that. So I'm pretty mad about that. And I do think it's like really helpful for people who are doing solidarity work, people like us, to be like, there are some communities that this actually has done a grave disservice to, more extreme than it would have done to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. clearly, clearly. And I don't know how we get that across when we still have this idea that it's a one-for-one one swap. Yeah. Right? right. That's They've built the idea that you have taken my spot because I deserve it. And I don't know how we get to the point where, like, well, one, deserve is a strange thing and meritocracy is a myth. And if you want to talk one-to-one -one spots, it ain't that person who took it. <laughs> like, right. I have a friend who went to a pretty high-end school and they want their kid to go high-end school. Say what? I was like, so how much money are you giving? Like, are you, how are they making it? <laughs> like, I know you're not, out? are you a legacy? Because I know you'll buy into it if you are. But, oh my gosh. Okay. So, did we cover everything things that we wanted to cover? Probably. We're pretty mad, though. I'm not totally rational. Let's get even more. So, it's important, right, for us, it, as we think about these things that impact our people and communities and especially around the affirmative action, that there are two more decisions that came out just today. We said, yeah, let's meet up tomorrow and talk about this one. And then this morning we wake up to another round of bullshit. Mm -hmm. Two decisions that come out. One is that Biden's debt forgiveness for student loans was deemed unconstitutional. So that 
executive uh, order. Now there seems to be ways to get around that and all the, but in any case, that that's around poverty and the whole weight of. Yeah, we want 72 year old white people to keep paying their student loans. That's also who you're hurting. Sweet Jesus. The stories and things that we awful. read and see, They're it awful. is just. This is not about my family per se. It is, but not. This is about people who will die before they pay their student loan debt. And the short-sightedness of student loans anyway. Oh, yeah. The whole thing I mean, is pretty bad, actually. Yeah. I mean, and I have seen people say, that. well, when I went to college, I'm like, well, one, when you went to college, I worked my way through college because I was because $800 a semester. Correct. Inflation. And I still, I think I had $800 in student loans when I got out, but I could actually work my way through college. There's no way my kids, even though they have tons of financial aid and merit and all that, there's no way they could work their way through no. college at any system. Like, I mean, this is, this is all of them. And so that's one part about that, that is just lumping more. States have systematically defunded education. <sighs> Sorry, I'm still mad about that. Okay. But there's lots to be. So that's one that came out. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, what would you like to talk about the, the next uh, one that came out? Okay. My favorite part is she, okay. There's this web designer who was like, I don't want to be forced to make websites for gay couples, <laughs> wedding websites. To be clear, she was never asked if she oh, would really? make a website. Jessica told me. She was never asked. So it's like, Happy last day of Pride Month. Now, people who are business people in the public sphere who benefit from all of the same tax breaks that are out there or whatever for business owners are now allowed to discriminate against me. I saw this one, whole one, you just never asked. But seeing this whole idea that discrimination is a faith. Oh, that, it's that, your personal conviction. That's so. just... Every once in a while, I wonder, like, why do we keep, why do we bother? Why do we keep? And this is one of those moments where it's like, there's so much fucked up theology out there. I hope, yep. I wonder if the people next to me are entertained by, I'm talking into a wall at the hotel I'm at. Yeah, I hope they're enjoying this because you're about to drop some theological knowledge on no, them. No, I'm just, no, that was about it. It's like, there's oh. some fucked up theology out there. 100%. And so, and it's killing people, as we know. Oh, yeah. And... Now it's being state sanctioned and we're just rolling back. And now that's given permission for us to buy into this myth and theological space that you have made a choice about your life. And I now get to discriminate against you in all kinds of, right. And now are people, I saw one thing like now does every business, are they going to list all of the religious beliefs that they will not, and no then, because apparently anymore. the right wing just has a lot of people with a lot of free time and broadband, who can you thank for that, Democrats? Anyway, they're just going to then, are they going to be able to spam all these businesses who are like, we're inclusive and we'll do your website, gay people? Do you know what I mean? Like, this could go so sideways so quickly. Like, the yeah. fact that people are doing bomb threats against Target for having a pride collection, which is literally rainbow capitalism, like, we're not oh, even... I was I came out as queer in my own self-awareness way before the queer community was like fully bought on with capitalism joining us. Right? And so the fact that I just what the hell is happening? We drank Bud Light the other day. Just for <laughs> We don't even usually like that. 
we have higher standards for our beer. And here we are forced to drink Bud Light. So we feel bad that they did. They, Bud Light has been showing up at gay pride parades forever. You just noticed. You're so stupid. People are so stupid. Exactly. It's like, are we, are we really ordering that? You know, the only people on the Bud Light float were ever straight. I was like, those are straight people on that float at a gay pride parade. Because <laughs> right. it's Bud Light. We don't drink that. Yeah. And now we're going to have to. <laughs> I have to drink that? So sad. So many other options. Uh, to be fair, we were in a place called Holbrook that we ate at a place called, it was a, whenever we travel, we try to go to all local kind of just, and it was, it was a cowboy place. I mean, it had the sign that we walked in that said, watch out for loose women and something. <laughs> and you were like, okay, Gird your loins. But the, but the prime rib was good. I will say that that was a, a sometimes yeah, the people. Yeah. So we got these two things, right? We wanted to make sure we mentioned this one because I think kind of that you mentioned Kimberly Crenshaw, this intersectional lens that I think it's a good way for people to kind of get a sense of where they are as you're thinking about these three things, these decisions that have just come out is how do you hold those together? You may gravitate towards one or the other or have more thoughts about, but they're intrinsically connected by for yes. especially folks who are connected. Yeah, good. So my understanding of the student loan thing was that some of the argument was that it would unfairly benefit people who were already wealthy. And that was of more concern than relieving the burden on people who are oppressed and are drowning under student loan debt, which is something we should all think about very seriously. That like, oh, these poor white people and apparently Asian Americans, which is ridiculous on its face, there's no day for any of this. They are hurting. Yeah. And we would rather that we not keep hurting them with like that we do this thing, student loan debt, because it's more important that these wealthy people not benefit because now they can get into the schools again, apparently. But we can't ever relieve the burden on people who are like, they're going to die because they're paying their student loan bills first. Yeah. Yeah. Think on about top that. of all the other things that are impact like all the other costs besides this, like the things that load on that so many of us and others have to it, you're adding this expense onto their life like it cool. just is compounding yep. poverty right i mean it's just even even not even those who are in in the lowest of our economic spaces but that middle i mean it's it's yeah, enraging it is but again but good Here's the thing. We can't live on rage, sadly, because if I could, trust me, I would. With a little but ranch that... dressing on the side, rage is... Oh, mm. my God. You guys, I love ranch so much. I will put it on every... That's why I try not to buy it too much, because it is dairy, you know? Like, I have to take a lactate. What kind of ranch do you get? Do you oh, go I was bougie ranch? whatever was at that. No, I am basic. Yeah, I have gone valley. bougie ranch, and that is dangerous because it's even better than basic. See, but I was going to talk about joy. Like sir. Okay, sorry. No, I just meant like, the thing is that we see this potential for a world because our interpersonal relationships reflect that world. We see this like multiracial democracy, where we're able to have friends who are a lot of different kinds of people. And that's what we want is for all of these different kinds of people to flourish, whether or not we know them and whether or not we love them. And that is what's under threat. And we have to keep leading with that vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that's really what we're about. That's why we're mm -hmm. upset. Yes. We could be better. 
And we, with some of us get glimpses of that all the time. All the time. All the time. Yeah, no, I think that's why. That's why we do it. Oh, you made me all teary, Laura. God created us for this. Yes. God didn't create us for kicking people around. What are we doing? We are terrible sometimes. I know. I'm sorry. I know you tried. Oh, to, man, I just brought it right down. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We tried to end with joy, people, but clearly we are not in that space. Bruce is like, hold on, I have a tear. <laughs> Those are tears of joy and of community and, you know, but then, you know, we are, can be just shitty people. In any case, you all, thanks for, if you have stayed in for this hour of ranting and I hope we want an hour, Laura. Oh, wow. Well, we got it's it helpful. in. A... Yeah. I mean, I think, again, Laura and I take ourselves seriously. Like we, we do not offer this lightly. I mean, but we don't take ourselves too seriously, obviously. obviously. Uh, we hope that there's a voice in this that is yours or that you can hear something. Last words, Laura, of joy or of, like, I could be rage too, whatever. You know what I love is that there are a lot of us who have this vision for how things can be, for how we're meant to be together. And I'm really excited to keep joining in that with everyone. Yes. All right. All right, y'all. That is it. We may be back. Let's just hope the SCOTUS just takes a little break because... I'd like to go enjoy my family vacation. <laughs> uh, again, uh, subscribe, rate, share, all that kind of stuff. I will, there's some, there'll be stuff in the show notes. I'm going to try to get this out real quick. So hopefully this won't be a day or two until after we've uh, recorded it. All right, all. Thank you very much. And we will see you on the next episode of BRC and Friends. BRC and Friends was hosted and produced by Bruce Reyes Chow. Co-hosts were Jorge Bautista, Mickey Scott Bay Jones, Amy Kim Caramus Parks, and Laura Monaco Heifetz. And the theme music was composed and recorded by Marissa Magdal Laurent. Please head over to Patreon and toss us a few bucks and feel free to connect with any of us via the show notes. And lastly, please don't make me beg. Take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to BRC and Friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Until the next episode, thanks for listening to BRC and Friends.